spiders. <laughs> I don't know how they theologically fit into June 15, but here's how they fit into my life. I'm terrified of them. <laughs> when we got married, you know, Joyce and I said our vows, and there were many things we said to each other. Um, I wanted to put in there that in terms of our duties and responsibilities, when it came to the spiders that would inevitably be in our home, that those would belong to her and not to me. Uh, they didn't make the official contract, but there was a verbal agreement, and Joyce, for 33 years, has been killing the spiders in our home, and I think that's what all loving wives should do <laughs> for their husbands. <clears throat> Well, good morning, Brush Prairie. It's just always so delightful to be back here with you. And if I can get you from uh, stop thinking about spiders for a few moments, because <laughs> you all have your stories, don't you? Yes. Uh, I need to stop thinking about spiders because I, I have some stories too. Last year, actually, I talked a little bit about hiking because we live in Colorado. That's where our headquarters is. And a few years ago, I began with some young people in our church hiking up what we call 14ers. These are 14,000-foot mountains, and we have 54 of them in Colorado. And everybody wants to hike them, and especially the, 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 you know, the, the easiest 20. There's many that I will never hike. Um, I just found out, this is interesting, that you know, a Mount Beerstadt, which is the easiest one to hike, it's just about a four-mile hike, uh, in 2017 had 35,000 hikers go up it. I also learned that uh, there are a lot of 13,000-foot peaks in Colorado that didn't quite make 14,000, that very few people hike because they're not the 14ers. There are 600, 13 thousand and I you know my first thought was that's like being the third child that's what I was <laughs> so that's not in my notes either <laughs> spiders and being a third child it's not easy I want to tell you about the hike we did briefly uh, it wasn't a brief hike but I want to tell you about briefly because I went on and on in the first service and I didn't have time for some of my points so Here's a brief description of going up Mount Yale with 11 of my friends and family a week ago, Saturday. Mount Yale is the trailhead is Buena Vista, Colorado. We got up at 2.30 a.m. We got in the car at 3 a.m. We were on the trailhead by 6 a.m. because you want to be off the summit by 11 or 12 because of the afternoon lightning thunderstorms that come in Colorado. It's very dangerous. So we're starting hiking at 6 a.m. First few up. Excuse me, first few hours are fine. You're going through the trees or streams. And there were six people who'd never hiked one before. And they're thinking, this isn't so bad. But then you get out of tree line and it gets steep. And there's this thing called oxygen, which our bodies really need. And there's not a lot of it. Even though we started at 9,000 square feet, we're going to go up 4,500 square feet in elevation in about four and a half hours. And you, you start to feel the effects of that. Some people get altitude sickness. Uh, lightheadedness, nausea, all kinds of... And, and I, I recruited these six new people to do this because I said, it's great. It's a wonderful experience. And I don't put the quotes up when I recruit them because it's, 
the last few hours are kind of agonizing. Your legs burn. You, it's just hard. You're, you, you, everyone starts to suffer. Uh, except the people that like to run the 14ers. And they were up at the crack of dawn. They ran it. And they're on their way down already. And they're jogging in place as you hike by. And they're saying good morning. And they're cheerful. And they're going to and. You know, in Christian love, I just hate those people a lot. <laughs> I do. I really. Anyway, so if you're one of those people, I'm sorry for offending you. Just stay off my mountain because <laughs> we should all be suffering, Tim. We should all be hurting really bad because I do. Finally, we, we get to the summit and, and we, you know, peanut butter and jam sandwich never tasted so good and we have the euphoria of the view and the, and it's just it's wonderful but then you have like three and a half hours of going down and it kills your knees and your legs by the time i get to the van nine hours later i can literally barely walk it's great <laughs> as i was going up this one recently i think this is so much like life life is hard there's there's false summits. There's, there's a lot of pain and agony. And it's, it's actually a long hike. It's a long journey with Jesus till we get to the summit. And there's joy and there's community and there's blessing and a sense of accomplishment. All of that. But this, this is such a great picture of what we're all doing in life. We're hiking a mountain for Jesus. And it is great and it is hard. And I love the fact that you guys have been going through the book of John. Because in the book of John, we just see Jesus uh, talking about what really matters on this journey of life. And I listened to Pastor Bob's sermon from last week. And, and not only was it an excellent sermon, but it ministered to my heart for where I was last week. Because I needed peace in the midst of my troubles and difficulties. Because that's what Jesus is preparing his disciples in this middle section here where in my Bible, <coughs> excuse me, hang on, let me get organized. In John 15 and 16, I have what's called a red letter edition. Where's our young people? Look at this. Do you want to touch it? It's, this is called paper. And, <laughs> and these red, they... They mark the words of Jesus. So when I open up to this section, it's all red. That should tell me, oh, this is important. I mean, all Scripture is. But Jesus is speaking. He's speaking his final instructions to the disciples. And he says, it's going to be hard. It's going to be crazy. You can have peace and you can take peace. And if you're going to make it to the summit and look back and feel fulfilled, there are some things you need to know about me and about our relationship. And that's what Jesus is unpacking in John chapter 15. I think <laughs> this, is, this is your pastor's favorite chapter in the whole book, and he gave it up for me. So I want to just shout out to Pastor Bob. That was kind of, and we'll see how he feels at the end of this. Um, <laughs> but if you would turn there, let's, let's look at what Jesus says to us about making this hike, about what really matters in this journey. And here's how I would summarize what he's saying to us this morning. We will experience transformed, fruit-bearing, glory-to-God-giving, Jesus-testifying lives 
if we remain in an intimate relationship with him. Transformation, fruit-bearing, glory-giving, Jesus-testifying lives. In other words, our lives will really matter if we remain in an intimate relationship with him. The key word in this text is remain. How many in your translations does it say remain as you look down? Does it say remain, remain, remain? How many says abide? Okay. Both of those are really great translations for what Jesus is saying. Eleven times he's going to say this word. Remain, abide, stay in, stay connected, dwell in. Now, in the NIV, which I'm using, it says remain, and that's what I'm going to focus on. And it's a word for me that actually is, is more helpful for me than abide. Abide is a beautiful word, but it's hard for me to grasp what that means. When I hear remain, I can think of some stuff. I can think of, well, that's stay. It's hold your ground. It's be there. It's don't get pushed off. It's, it's anchored. And I think these words all describe what Jesus is getting at. We're to remain in him. And if you see in the outline, I have four key points. And just to warn you, those of you that sort of keep track of the clock in your head, the last two points are not going to get as much attention as they deserve. I'm only going to give about five minutes to those last two points. I'm going to give the rest of the sermon to the first two because I think it's at the heart of the matter and uh, we don't have time to cover it all adequately. But let's look at God's word together. And the first thing Jesus is saying is that we need to remain in him. We need to remain in Jesus. If we are going to have this abundant life, if we're going to get to the summit of life and look back and be satisfied, at the heart of the matter is that we need to remain, abide in Jesus. Let's read 1 through 8. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him... He will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples." Wow, there's a lot of deep, beautiful truths in these verses. And Jesus' main point, if you didn't pick it up, is that we are to remain in him. 
he starts out by saying, I am the true vine. And that word true is really important because Jesus is actually changing the narrative of the story of the people that were listening. These were Jewish listeners, and they knew that God referred to the people of Israel as his vine throughout the Old Testament. And it was through the people of Israel, the vine, that he was going to bless all the nations of the world. But now Jesus is saying, the time has come where I myself am replacing this official Judaism that is actually now disconnected from the vine because I am the vine. I'm the true vine. This would have been a radical shift. But it's a beautiful picture because Jesus was telling the world that through him, the Father would bring his blessing. And he starts out with, I am. That should sound familiar to us. Because Jesus loved to declare his divinity and his uh, part of the Trinity in those two words, I am who I say I am. And he often described himself in the Gospels. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. And I am the true vine. Let me give you just three words that I think describe what it means to remain in Jesus. He's telling us to do it. Remain, abide, stay connected. Here are the words. Continual, reciprocal. Don't ask me how to spell that. I can barely say it. Reciprocal and painful. Continual, reciprocal, and painful. Continual. Jesus is saying over and over again, remain, remain, remain. He's not talking about a one-time event. He's talking about a continual 24-7, continual connection with him. And that's how his life is going to flow into the branch and produce the fruit. Continual. Uh, wives, let me ask you a question. If you overheard your husband talking to some other brush prairie men, and the other brush prairie men asked your husband, how's it going in your marriage? And your husband said, well, it's going great. Every morning, my wife and I have 20, well, not every morning, but four to five times a week, we have, I mean, I aim for seven, but, you know, life gets busy. But we have 20 to 30 minutes together of focused time where we listen to each other and we coordinate the day and we talk and, and we, we just connect. And you heard the, the other men saying, that's great. And maybe I should try that. Or, wow, that must really help out your marriage. And, and they say, well, how is it the rest of the day? And your husband says, what do you mean the rest of the day? I mean... We go about our lives, it's busy, you know, I got work to do and she does her thing and, you know, we might connect here and there, but really, it's about that 30 minutes in the morning that we focus on. I think if you heard that answer, 
you might not be fully satisfied with that answer from your husband. Now, maybe you're sitting there going, 20, 30 minutes sounds pretty good. You know, let's start with that. You guys worked that out in your marriages. And it is a good thing to do. But God intended our relationships, and especially that one, to be continual. That we're thinking about each other. That we're talking to each other. That we're aware of what each other's doing. That we're, we're in union of heart and emotion. It, it, it is an intimacy that I have with my wife that goes beyond our focused time together. And yet, when we talk about our relationship with Jesus one of the, and abiding in him, we tend to talk about how our quiet times are going. About our focus, 20 or 30 minutes or whatever it is you do. Do not mean to minimize that. It is really important. And if you're not doing that in your marriage, it's a good step. But Jesus is saying continual, daily, throughout. When you wake up in the night, I'm there. When, when you are struggling, uh, when, when you are happy, when you, you're aware of my presence, you're aware of the fruit that I'm bearing in your life. We're in relationship. We're remaining together. And so when we think about the application today, we want to think not just maybe how we can improve our quiet time, which I encourage you to do, but think about what it means to commune with God throughout the entire day. It's also reciprocal remaining. Look just at verse 4. There's many examples of these. Jesus says, remain in me and what will happen? I will remain in you. It's a two-way street. And I love this. I love the fact that, yes, we have our responsibility to stay connected to Jesus. But he's saying, man, I'm staying connected to you. I, I am pouring you. I am in you. I, I am living my divine life through you. I mean, we are connected. It's like the blood in our arteries and veins going through us. We're not aware of it, but that is Jesus in us bringing us the oxygen of life and abundant life all the time. He's in us. I don't know that I think about that that much. I mean, I know that now that Jesus has come in the presence of the Holy Spirit and he's bearing his fruit, but... What Jesus is doing for us continually, this, wow. I just want to say thank you, Jesus. Because I feel like I do my part so sporadically and, and insufficiently, and yet he does it perfectly, divinely, just in each one of us. He's pouring his life right now. Mind blown, I don't know what else to say. Thank you, Jesus. And thank you, Jesus, for point number three. Not only is it continual and reciprocal, it's often painful. So we get to the, these verses in here where it talks about pruning and cutting. Pastor Bob gave a great illustration with the apple tree. First of all, he says, he cuts off. Look at verse 2. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And then over in uh, 6. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. 
Whoa. Now, these are, these are uh, perhaps the most challenging verses in here because it really could, you just read that and you go, well, Jesus is saying you can lose your salvation. If you don't bear fruit, burn. Next week, Pastor Bob will be covering these two verses for you all. <laughs> I don't know if he'll cover them, but he may have to do a little cleaning up from the next two minutes. The scripture teaches eternal security. Just Jesus was telling us just a few chapters back that I've given you eternal life. And no one can snatch you out of my hands. And that is the weight of Scripture, so powerful we can be secure in our salvation. So we need to bring that overall Scripture study to these verses. And I think there's a couple of options. One, I think Jesus very likely could be saying, because the fruit is what shows whether you're truly in the vine or not, if there is no fruit, you're not truly in the vine. Judas would be a great example. He was with Jesus, but he wasn't in the vine. He wasn't a believer, and therefore he was cut off. The fruit shows you weren't ever truly there. That's most likely the best interpretation. Another one would be that Jesus isn't talking about our position with him in salvation. He's talking all about productivity in this life. And so when he's talking about the burning and the judgment and the cutting off, he's saying this is the result of a wasted life. No fruit, worthless Pastor Bob, clean up in John 15. It's a big subject. But really, Jesus is preparing them for the second point, which is that he prunes the gardener, prunes, and cuts back the branches that are bearing fruit. And you guys know, you know, you most of you have probably been in the church a long time. Some of you may be newer to the faith. But God wants us to bear fruit. It's one of the main points of this passage. And he will cut off even good things in our life so that better things can grow. We have a, a few peach trees in the backyard. And Joyce's dad, every spring, prunes those things. And when I think of pruning, I just think, well, you just clip, you know, a little. I mean, he prunes it. There's like... I, there's not, almost nothing left. And you think that's just, that can't be the right move. And then in the summer and now when we get back, there will just be these beautiful peaches. And this is a principle of life, that suffering. It's Hebrews chapter 11 and the discipline of God that he's going to cut off even the good things in our lives. That can be all kinds of things. It could be our health, which is good. It could be a relationship that we think is good, but its season is over. You know, since, since I was with you, my mom went to heaven this last year. And I think about her last few years. And she suffered with Alzheimer's. And, and it felt to me like God was maybe doing the final pruning in her life. She started to lose her memory and her ability to communicate all good things. And just experiencing the suffering of the brokenness and the sin in the world that she would have to 
have her life go down to just the bare minimum. It was so hard to be a part and watch. But now, now that she's released in glory, I picture it as God's final pruning so that when she took her last breath and went to glory, the fruit of her life was just displayed and give glory to him. But God does that, and you know, you have a painful situation in your life. You have a, a hardship. You, you're on a part of the hike that you just, you're not sure you're going to make it. Jesus is saying, the Father and I, we love you. We love you so much that we're willing to not only cut off the dead stuff, but to cut off some of the life stuff so that you can bear more of our life in you. So remaining in Jesus is continual, reciprocal, and it's often painful. But it's wonderful. But then Jesus goes on to say, not only remain in me, but specifically remain in my love. Look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you now Remain in my love. His love is so important that throughout this next section, he's highlighting how important it is for us to think about how we are loved by him. That that love and the receiving of that love is one of the great nourishments and and power-giving things in our lives. And I think he tells us uh, at least three things that are going to happen as we remain in that love. The first one is that it, what does it mean to remain in his love? Number one, it means to obey. Look at the next verse. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. I didn't have to go to Multnomah to see that right there. It's right there. You want to remain in my love, you got to obey me. And he repeats that in verse 14. Sometimes obedience isn't, isn't our, uh, has negative connotations for us. And yet in, in this context of a loving relationship with the God who loves us so much, it's such a beautiful word. It's not obligation. It, it, it's gratitude. It's appreciation. It's love. It's wanting to please him. We, we, we want to please the people that we love. And he's saying, get in step with me, follow me, and show that you're in my love. <clears throat> I want to introduce my daughter and son-in-law to you this morning, Kyrie. Our th- she's a third child. Uh, maybe that's why we have a bond. I didn't realize it till just this moment, third child, children. We're here. Okay, so we have uh, Kyrie and her husband, Jake. Uh, one year ago today... I was officiating their wedding. They're celebrating their one-year anniversary with us, and they can't. Yeah, that's, that's worth it. And we're just so pleased with how they are growing in their marriage, and I feel so much less stressed than I did a year ago. Officiating your own daughter's wedding. In fact, we were outside in a beautiful backyard of one of our Cadence board members and lights, and we'd rented a dance floor, and, I mean, it was just magical back there. You know, the sun was setting right during the ceremony. 
Kyrie was a, a, an amazing organizer. She, we, we would have meetings with mom, and, we, we, and she had everything color-coded. And by, before the meeting was over, I got a text with my duties for the next week. And, you know, weddings are, are a big project. It was a beautiful wedding. She did a great job, a lovely bride. Um, and then it was, it was uh, you know, the dances, and it was just, we did a family dance. You can look it up on, on our Facebook page. It's pretty amazing, if I say so. But So the whole family got up there and did a dance. But then it was father-daughter dance, and Kyrie and I really didn't have time to practice. And we, when, when she was a little girl, uh, there was a period in our, in our home where we had dance parties every night before bed. And they really turned more into, like, tumbling gymnastics. I would throw the boys in the air onto the couch, and we were, they didn't really know how to dance. We were really more like in a mosh pit or something. I don't know, but... <laughs> Kyrie and I developed a routine where I would twirl her and I would lift her up and swing her around. So when it came time to the father-daughter dance a year ago, we really wanted to incorporate uh, the ones that wouldn't break dad into our routine. But we had hardly any time to practice. And we were so focused on the wedding. So there we are. We got to the moment. And, and I, I don't know if I looked uncertain or, or, or what, uh, but... Kyrie said to me, she just looked up and said, I'll follow you, Daddy. And I was like, cool. <laughs> and I just took off. I mean, I don't, I don't even rehearse her. I just took off prancing around, and Kyrie just stayed in step with me in a beautiful way. And then we got our little routines, and it was a great moment. <sighs> I'll follow you, Daddy. That's what Jesus is saying here. What a blessing to stay in step with our Heavenly Father. That's obedience. That's lovely. The second thing I think remaining in his love means is it means loving other people. Look at verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. I don't have time to look at 1 John, but he unpacks this even more. Basically, the greatest way we display that we're in Jesus' love is that we are sacrificially laying our lives down for others day in and day out. And I think Jesus would say, hey, if you're selfish and you're not caring about the people around you and you're not living out the fruit of the Spirit when you go home, you're not abiding in me. This is how you show you're my disciples, he says. This is the proof. And I don't know if you've ever met anyone who maybe they, they could talk Christianity. They, could, they knew the word. And then you watched them relate to their family. And you saw the, the withering that went on there. And you wondered, how do those two things go together? They don't. That person is not abiding in Jesus in the way Jesus is saying we are to abide. Because when we remain in Jesus and his love, that life pours out, that fruit on the vine, the primary one is love and the kind of love that would lay down our lives for those around us. So you want to measure how you're doing in remaining with Jesus. Look at your love and your life. And finally, it means fruit bearing. Jesus 
refers to remaining 11 times in this chapter, and he refers to fruit bearing eight times. All kinds of fruit, but certainly the kind of fruit that brings glory to the Father. Like Jesus was uh, delighted to bring glory to his Father. This is how we show we're his disciples. Think of the fruit of the Spirit. You're going to talk a fair amount about the Holy Spirit in the coming weeks. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's the beauty of being connected to Jesus. Is Yes, we have our choices to make, our choices of love, our choices to be patient, our choice to be faithful. These are our choices. But the Spirit himself, the fruit just flowing through us, that's, that's what, what God wants to get out of us continually. And I'm, I'm just grateful for that because I, I don't feel like I have the capacity to do all those things well all the time. And I have lots of reasons. I think, well, I'm busy, I'm tired, I'm stressed. This is why I'm impatient. This is, you know, and I got all my reasons. Well, the truth is, I want to be continually moving towards living the life of Jesus towards the people. And that's where it's the hardest. So I'm not going to make excuses. And I'm going to look at my life and say, if those things are the opposite of what they should be, or some of them are, or what's going on in my life that might be causing it? Where, where might I be clogging the artery between me and Jesus, my sin, my neglect, my distractedness, my looking for life in other places? These are things we should reflect on when we think about being a branch and staying in the vine so that his life, what a great promise, can flow through us. I think that's what it means to remain in his love, to obey, to love, to bear fruit. Point number three, remain through suffering. All these verses uh, talk of Jesus just saying, hey, they hated me, and I lived the perfect life. They're going to hate you too. You bear fruit like this? At some point, at some time, people are going to persecute you. They're going to misunderstand you. They're going to hate you. Suffering is such a part of this pruning process. Um, you all know that. The scripture here is just Jesus is saying, be ready for it. Uh, Joyce and I had the privilege of being in Croatia a few years ago. And uh, the island we were on, beautiful vineyards, just in this hot, rocky, hillside climate. And they're just thriving because they need the heat. They need the, the suffering that they're going through to produce the sweetest grapes. And that's true for our lives as well. And finally, the last two verses of the chapter, Jesus is telling his disciples and telling us, and we'll end with this, when the counselor comes, the Holy Spirit, the advocate, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. This is just such a lovely verse about the Trinity and how they work together. You should study it deeper. And he says in 27, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus is saying they have a responsibility with this transformed life, this fruit-bearing life, 
that no matter where they are in their journey and all that's coming, they have a responsibility because they've encountered Jesus to testify about him. Give a witness. Speak. And I think the rest, a lot of the chapter is saying, that'll show itself. You, you abide in me, you stay in me, and it will show itself in these fruit. And, but one of them is just, our, our, so our lives will testify is a beautiful thing, but then we look for opportunities to testify about the hope that we have within us. I think sometimes, I think that's like the bigger things, and sometimes it is. Sometimes it's taking a risk and telling someone about the Lord. Sometimes it's... Uh, going out of our comfort zone to, to build a relationship with someone that doesn't yet know Jesus. Sometimes it's just a simple acts of kindness. Uh, yesterday we had a birthday party for one of our granddaughters who turned four. There's nothing like a granddaughter birthday party. I mean, it was gorilla themed. There was a, a gorilla there, not a real one, but our son Jonathan in a gorilla. I mean, gorilla everything and I don't know how Harper got so into gorillas. There were over 50 people at her party. And I thought, when I was four, I might have had four friends. This girl, now there's a lot of connections in her life, and many of these are from the preschool, the Christian preschool, or from our church, from Cadence. But some of the folks there came from the Inglewood school days, public school days, and I've told you stories of those days, and... They're not yet believers, but they are still connected to us, and we are having testimony to them yet, even as young adults. Oh, man, why am I talking about the birthday party? Well, it was awesome. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, you should know how awesome. Oh, so that morning I was preparing the yard, and, uh, and I... Our neighbor came out, a wonderful man, and uh, we've talked about the Lord. I believe he knows the Lord, and, and we just have these chats over our little fence. And I said, Dallas, how are you? And he, he asked about the birthday party. That was a connection. And I, so I told him what we were doing, and he enjoys our grandkids as well. Uh, our oldest grandkids, his oldest grandkid's son and our Rylan were born on the same day. So we had that connection. And, and, but as soon as I asked him how he was, he teared up. He said, I, I think my dad only has a few le- weeks to live. And he just started the, the anguish of losing his dad. And so I listened and I processed. And inside I was thinking, man, I got a hundred things to do to get this birthday party ready. And I had to just put that aside and just say, Jesus, your life, love this man, this, this moment. And so I just... Loved on him. I prayed for him. He just wept. And that was me testifying to my encounter with Jesus. That, that Jesus has met me in my suffering. He met me when I lost my dad and my mom and other prunings and suffering. I testified that Jesus loves him. And it was just a small moment. And God will give you those as you walk in him, connected to him by the, and you walk in step with the spirit, dancing along with your heavenly father. This is what it means to testify. Just day in and day out, our eyes see others and Jesus flows to them. This is the story of the, of the vine and the branches and bearing fruit. And it's a good story. 
And wherever you are on this long, excruciating, wonderful hike called life, may you trust him today for that life. Amen? Let's pray. We do trust you for that life, God, because we can do nothing apart from you. Our prayers won't be answered. You won't be glorified. Our life will not be used to love other people well. We need you. And so, Lord, together as your family, as your branches, oh, Lord, wherever we are, I pray for those that may be going, I am not connected as I want to be. Lord, would you just bring them back to you in these moments? All we have to do if we, maybe we need to repent, but we just need to turn to you and receive your life. Lord, would you do that in these moments for us? Thank you for this church, for the testimony it is in this place and around the world. Bless them this day in their fruit bearing. In Jesus' name, amen.